Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. It's a Ben, start the show already. What is up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats presented by Mattress Firm. We even got him our own shiny locker here on set now. Um, but this is a trade deadline special, baby, and I am excited for this episode. We got a lot to get to. We're going to round the bases off the top, take you around some of the biggest storylines from the week get into some fan uh, fan questions, some voicemails, where you guys ask me some questions, and then I get to ask our guests some questions, Ken Rosenthal, and, and the ultimate insider, a go-to guy during the trade deadline. So excited to, to talk to him. And then coming out of that, this week in Otani news. And then at the end, I'm going to grade. I'm going to grade a bunch of these teams and how they did on the trade deadline. This was a big, big week that we just got through. And we're going to talk a lot about that. And to get into it, to round the bases here right off the top, let's head on over to our first topic. And it is this trade deadline. And it is how crazy this trade deadline was. Look, I've been a fan of this game my whole life. I was fortunate enough to play this game for a long time. Now I work in this game. But ultimately, I love the game of baseball. And I always have. And I've always followed closely this trade deadline. This one was crazy. This was the craziest trade deadline that I can remember in, in my lifetime. And a lot of that is because there's no more waiver deadline. There's no trade deadline at the end of July. And then at the end of August, there's another kind of waiver deadline that you can still add pieces, which is where my brother actually got traded in 2017. He was through the waiver deadline. That's gone. That is no longer. And what we saw was the craziest deadline in history, in my opinion. And I actually asked Ken Rosenthal that later when I talked to him. Uh, so you got to stay tuned for that interview because it was awesome. Great conversation with Ken. But I want to talk about this trade deadline and just how awesome it was, how many teams were moved, how many teams made moves. Look, this was awesome for baseball. You have the teams that are good and in contention going for it not afraid to get rid of their prospects, not afraid to get rid of guys in their minor leagues to go for it this year. And then you have teams that aren't great, not scared to get rid of their best players to build for the future. Everybody was just firing off moves. And it started literally three days before the deadline. And every single day I was like, this can't get any crazier. And then it just continued to get crazier and crazier. So we're going to talk a lot about those good moves that were made. But I want to talk about a couple teams that really disappointed me this trade deadline. One of them being the Seattle Mariners. They make that trade right off the top, getting rid of their best reliever, Kendall Graveman. He's gone to, to get back, uh, you know, a good piece in Abraham Toro and then a reliever in Joe Smith. That trade to me, and we're going to talk about this one later in the show, but 
I just don't understand it. And then DePoto comes out and says, look, we're going to make more moves. Stay calm here, everyone. We're going to be just fine. You know why he had to say that? The Mariners team, who was making a surge, by the way, making a great push, getting themselves into at least a little bit of contention, was pissed off, for lack of a better word. They were furious. There was reports of players throwing stuff in the locker room. A player came out and said, it just never changes. They just don't want to win. Things don't change around here. That's a pretty eye-opening thing to hear from a player. So, you know, the GM has to come out and say, hold up, guys, we're going to make some more moves. And then they just didn't. They just didn't. So I'm going to talk about the Mariners later in the show, but they really frustrated me as well as the Colorado Rockies. If you're the Rockies at this point, what are you doing? What are you doing? Everybody's making moves here for better, uh, you know, to, to win this year or to build for their future. And then you have one of the worst teams in the league not doing anything. With one of the best shortstops in the league, you just don't make a move? Here's my problem with this. What they get in return, because Trevor Story's not re-signing. He's a free agent at the end of the year. You have to re-sign. You have to make a move for Trevor Story. He's not re-signing. So they don't. So now they're going to get a compensation pick at the end of the first round in the draft. And they say, well, you know, we just didn't feel like we could get anything that was, that was worth it. It was a seller's market. <laughs> It was a seller's market, this trade deadline. So they really screwed up, in my opinion, by not getting rid of Trevor Story, John Gray, a few of those guys. Um, so a disappointing deadline from the Mariners and the Rockies. But heading on over to second, we got the New York Yankees and what they did this trade deadline. Look, the, the, the New York Yankees acquire Joey Gallo, and Anthony Rizzo, Joey Gallo from the Rangers, Anthony Rizzo from the Cubs, two fantastic pieces. I, I love the addition of these two guys. When I look at what the Yankees did as a whole, I'm not sold. I'm not sold. Look, these two guys are exactly what this lineup needed. They're two big left-handed bats that can hit the ball out of the yard, and they get on base a lot. They're on-base percentage machines, which is what the Yankees needed. So great addition for this lineup. Why am I timid on what the Yankees did? Because the Yankees have a glaring issue that they just didn't address. They're pitching. Specifically, they're back into the game, relief pitching at all, having guys that can save a five-run lead getting to the seventh, eighth, ninth inning. There's one guy in that bullpen right now that I feel like every time he comes out is going to get the job done, and it's Chad Green. It's not Araldis Chapman because he's been one of the worst relievers in baseball over the last couple of months. His last couple of outings have been better, so hopefully he's, he's making a turn there, but they didn't address a glaring issue. Go get a starting pitcher. Go get a reliever. Do something. I just don't understand how the only moves you make continue to be the sexiest move. The biggest, you know, the biggest splash. You're the New York Yankees. That's what they love to do. We love to make a big splash. Oh, we're going to go get Joey Gallo and Anthony Rizzo. Great. Great additions. Is that all you're going to do? Why? I mean, yeah, it makes, it makes your offense better, but pitching wins in the playoffs. Pitching continually wins in the playoffs. We know that as fans. The Yankees know that. It's been obvious over the last however many years 
that pitching wins. Look at look at the Dodgers rotation when they win. Yes, they had a good offense. Look at the look at the Astros rotation when they win. You have my brother, you have Garrett Cole, you have McCullers, you have those guys at the top. You look at the Nationals who have a guy like Scherzer and those guys that they can go to in the playoffs. Pitching wins. So if you're the Yankees to just totally not address an issue, it's not like they had like the best pitching rotation. Aside from Garrett Cole, there's nothing that like screams, oh, we're going to win this game. And you get into that bullpen and they just keep blowing games. I, I don't understand how you can't address a glaring issue at the trade deadline and just go make the sexiest move possible to make your lineup better. So I, I like the additions. I, do, I really do. I like the two additions of Gallo and Rizzo for that lineup, but a little bit of a disappointment in terms of what they acquired on the pitching. And they got a pitcher late, Andrew Heaney from, from the Angels. But is that the answer? Is he, is he the, the, the savior for the pitching? No. No, he's not. So heading on over to the third, we got the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Los Angeles Dodgers in what happened to be one of the craziest trade deadlines in history, in my opinion, the craziest, had the best trade, line of all, trade deadline of all and got the best player, the best pitcher available, and then went out and got arguably one, you know, a top three shortstop in the league and Trey Turner. They got both of them and also added a guy like Danny Duffy. If you look at doing a trade deadline right, <laughs> the Los Angeles Dodgers did that. They did this trade deadline right. They went out and made moves. They went out and didn't sit around to, to watch the, the Padres and the Giants make a move when, when we all thought the Padres are getting Max Scherzer because we heard he's going to go to one of the three teams in the NL West. Then we hear Max Scherzer's going to the Padres. Still not sure what really happened there, but we do have Ken Rosenthal coming on in a little while, and I do ask him about just that, what went on out there in the NL West. But the Dodgers won this trade deadline by acquiring these guys, and it was, it was I, look, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that Max Scherzer and Trey Turner are going to arguably the best roster already on paper in the Dodgers. When I look at what the Dodgers did, and this, this could be off, but it also may not be. I look back to 2017. I look back to 2017, which was a big trade deadline for me and my family because my brother was traded for the first time in his, in his long established career. He was traded. And I remember that night like it was yesterday. It was emotional. It was crazy. There were so many emotions. There were so many phone calls going on amongst our family. There were so many phone calls going on with him in the heat of the moment. It was coming down to the final minute. He had a full no trade clause. So anybody that wanted to trade for him, he had to approve it. And he wanted to win. Above all else, he wanted to win. But he didn't know where he was going to go. He didn't know who wanted him. There were talks of the Dodgers. There were talks of, of a bunch of teams. But what ends up happening, last second, the Astros come in and say, we want to trade for him, and my brother okays that trade. The Dodgers end up going a different route, and if you guys remember, they, they acquire a guy in you Darvish. Good pitcher, good pitcher, but I don't think I'm biased. I am biased, but I think I'm right here. He's, he's not my brother. 
He's not Justin Verlander on the mound. The Astros end up acquiring him. They go on to win the World Series. The Dodgers lose two games in that series, both games that you Darvis started. So I truly believe if they had gone out and gotten my brother, if the tables were reversed and they got my brother, I think there's a very good chance the Los Angeles Dodgers win that World Series. And I think they know that because it literally came down to those two pitchers in the World Series and who pitched better. Went to a game seven. Darvish lost two of his games. That was a huge turn. If they acquire my brother, I think the Los Angeles Dodgers win the World Series. So this move, is did, did that play a factor? I have to believe so. They went out and got the best pitcher on the market. They gave up a boatload to get him. They gave up their number one prospect, their number two prospects, and two other big prospects to go get these two guys. They are going for it. I absolutely love to see it. I love to see the Dodgers going for it again. I think it's, I, look, they're going for it. You have to commend them, whether you're a fan of the Dodgers or not. They are going all in on winning the World Series this year. They took their already established roster and they made it the best roster on paper in baseball. Does that mean they're going to win the World Series? No. Oftentimes it means they're not going to win the World Series, but they're going for it and they're going for it with the best team on paper now in baseball. And you absolutely love to see them going for it. So in my opinion, the, the best trade deadline uh, acquisition that we had, a, a super, uh, a big blockbuster trade that both sides ended up on, on, on paper looking pretty good. The, the Nationals get big prospects. The Dodgers got what they wanted. But a huge, huge trade, uh, the biggest blockbuster trade of the deadline happens. The Dodgers do fantastic in it. Um, so, so kudos to them for going to get it and having a guy like Max Scherzer to pair with a guy like Kershaw and Bueller at the top of that rotation. I mean, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer, Clayton Kershaw. That's video. I couldn't even acquire that in, in a video game. I couldn't do it because they wouldn't allow me. It's too unfair. And they went and got it. So, so kudos to them for that. But rounding this all out and coming home, the Chicago Cubs, a total fire sale. Got rid of everything. 2016. The Chicago Cubs, world champions. 2021, burn it all down. Tear it all down. They're all gone. Chris Bryant, gone. Anthony Rizzo, gone. Javi Baez, gone. Key pieces, the core of that 2016 team. They're gone. And not only are they gone, they traded them away for some prospects, which, which I understand. I understand the business side of this. But I'm not happy. I'm not happy about this. And, and I, you know, I, I'm not a Cubs fan, per se. I'm not happy as a fan of baseball to see what happened here. This is the core group of your championship team that broke the curse, that changed the, changed the Chicago Cubs forever, that, that changed the lives of fans. Kids have grown up watching this core. People that didn't grow up watching this, but that, that grew up be, being a Cubs fan a long, long time ago, finally saw this team get over the hump, and it was because this core group of guys. And you just get rid of them. Now, coming into this, I understood they were going to move some pieces. I understood Chris Bryant was probably going to be gone 
but to to get rid of everyone i you know, to be quite honest with you I, i'm pissed off like these players are more than just numbers on a piece of paper and more and more we're seeing instances of owners and gms treating teams and players like like they're just numbers on a piece of paper because to a lot of them they are but there's there's a human element to this there's a human element to this whole situation that that was just overlooked here Anthony Rizzo is a legend in Chicago and did not want to go anywhere. He was quoted as saying, if we're going to go through struggles, I want to go through it with this team. And they just ship him on out. Javi Baez wants to be a Cub for life. Ship him on out. Chris Bryant, I don't know. Look, you know, there was talks he was probably gone after this year. Great. You know, I think everybody knew that. I think everybody knows Thank you, Chris Bryant, for what you did for this Cubs organization. We will, you will forever be beloved here. But we understand it's time for you to move on. And it's fine. Trade him at the deadline. Get some pieces. But to trade everyone, and I can't stress this enough, it frustrates me. That was a hard day for me. And I'm not even a fan of the Chicago Cubs. To see that happen, to see them all gone in the span of, of 24 hours was tough. It was tough to see because you could see the emotion on those guys. You could hear it in their interviews. They didn't want to go. They didn't want to be sent somewhere else. And they just were told, yep, thanks. Thanks for everything. See you later. It frustrates me, man. It frustrates me beyond belief because I, I, I'm just tired of seeing players treated like no more than numbers on a piece of paper. I really am. And I, I, I think, and I can't say this for a fact, but I think if I'm a Cubs fan, I would rather have a team that, you know, goes through a, a little bit of a struggle and is this team with a guy like Anthony Rizzo, who would do anything for this city, who does do anything for the city of Chicago. They would rather go through a tough time with him than get back a couple prospects that they don't know and maybe could potentially be okay. It's just, you know, it was it was a sad time in Chicago, a sad Sad 24, 48 hours to see that group that broke the curse all split up when I don't really know if they wanted to be. I don't really know if they wanted to be. And, and I, I, I just wish owners and GMs would see players as, you know what? I love these guys. I love these players. My city loves these players. These players love this city. I'm going to take care of them. I'm going to take care of them, maybe give them a little more than they might get elsewhere. But at the end of the day, it's just, you know, it's apparent over and over again, this is a business. This is an absolute business. And we're reminded of that often. And this Chicago Cubs teardown is just another reminder of how much of a business this is and how many emotions are involved on the player and fan side. And it's tough. It was a tough 24 hours to see what happened there in Chicago. Uh, but that rounds out the bases. All right, and now getting into the hotline questions, which is one of my favorite parts because you guys get to be involved. And this is the trade deadline edition. So I'm sure you guys will have some good questions this week. 213-537-9339 is that number to keep calling in. But hit me with that first voicemail this week. Hey, Ben, it's Maddie from Chicago. As a lifelong White Sox fan, I am super excited my team is doing well this year. And it's not a shock to anybody that Tony Lewis's hiring was a big surprise, given his 
previous experiences in the big leagues and the White Sox new and useful clubhouse dynamic. I was wondering if you think their dominant start to the season and increasing playoff odds affect his long-term stay in the Windy City. Thanks so much. Love the pod. Uh, first off, Maddie, thank you for the call. And look, you can't argue with success. Tony Larusa was certainly an interesting hire. I think every, everybody thought and felt the same way. Even the players on the White Sox felt the same way. But this team is so talented. Um, and, and look, they're having success. So does it affect his, his, the long-term status of, of him? Yeah, it, it affects it. And if they go out and continue to win, Tony LaRusse is not going anywhere. Look, as much as we want to talk about how young this team is and how much they're changing and breaking the unwritten rules of baseball and they're exciting and youthful and fun to watch, let's not forget the teams that Tony LaRusso used to manage back in the day. He used to manage the Oakland A's. And he used to manage guys like, like Ricky Henderson. It was all about, you know, a great player on the field, and he was all about being flashy and popping out the chain and having fun playing baseball. That's what this team's doing. They're having fun playing baseball. And as, as much as it was an interesting hire and a weird one for me, um, you can't argue with success. And that's what they're having, is success. Uh, and they continue to win games. They continue to put themselves in the best position to win baseball games. This team was a complete almost a complete team heading into this trade deadline, and they add and fix the one situation that, that they struggled. Their rotation's great. Their offense is great, and they're getting healthier. The bullpen was, you know, you have Liam Hendricks at the back end who's shutting games down, but you needed to get to him. You needed to bridge the gap, and they went out and got Craig Kimbrell, the best guy to bridge that gap that I could think of uh, in, this, in this trade deadline. So, um, I do believe the way the White Sox are playing will affect Tony LaRusso's future because if it, if it didn't go well, um, it wouldn't have gone well for him and people would have been even more pissed off. But you know what? They're playing great and you can't argue with success. So I see him staying there unless, unless something else happens. So thank you for the question. Next one. Hey, Ben. It's George from Richmond, Virginia. Long-time listener, first-time caller. You know, quick question for you. Did the Colorado Rockies just disconnect their phone lines during the trade deadline? Because I didn't see any moves or have Trevor Story leave uh, Colorado. Just want to get your thoughts on it. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for calling, George. And, yeah, I think there may have been like a – maybe things just got a little weird up there with the cell phone reception up in the Rocky Mountains. I, I, don't, I, don't, really, I don't really know. Look, I, I'm with you. And I talked about them off the top and how they had a very disappointing – trade deadline how do you not make moves how do you not do something do something do anything you're one of the worst teams in baseball you can't tell me you can't get rid of your your worst your best players and get something in return i'm with you what's going on there what's going on with the phones pick it up call the other 29 teams and say look we got this guy he's pretty good at baseball do you want him we know for a fact there were multiple teams involved wanting Trevor Story. They just didn't get rid of him. John Gray is a good pitcher that multiple teams wanted down the deadline. They just held on to him. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you making moves? It's the most baffling trade deadline decisions that I can think of this year because it's so glaringly bad. What are they doing there in that front office? 
Nolan Arenado in, in the offseason has just shipped out. One of the best players in baseball. One of the best third basemen in baseball. You just ship him off to another team and give him $50 million? What are you doing? And now you have this, uh, this trade deadline. Okay, chance to make up for what we did wrong. We have these good players. We have a bunch of teams calling us. Let's get some future studs in our organization and rebuild from the bottom. And yeah, and they didn't. They didn't. They just didn't do anything. An egregious error, in my opinion. Awful. I don't know what they're doing there in the front office there in, in Colorado. I really don't. What are you doing? But I'm with you. The only excuse, the only excuse is that their phone cords were cut and they couldn't call anybody. That's all I got there. But thank you guys for calling in. Uh, I love when you guys can be part of the show, so keep calling 213-537-9339. And this week was fun. It had to do with some trade deadline questions where you guys called and asked me some trade deadline questions. But now it's time for me to ask Ken Rosenthal some trade deadline questions. An absolute legend of the game, an MLB insider, one of the guys that's just in the middle of everything at the trade deadline. He hardly sleeps during the trade deadline, which we talk about. So here he is, Ken Rosenthal. Ken, thanks so much for joining me, man. Hey, Ben, good to be with you, man. I, of course. So let me ask you this. I have now been working in baseball for one year. So for me, this was the craziest deadline ever. I'm also a huge fan of the game and have been my whole life. And I feel like this may have been the craziest baseball deadline ever. So my question here is, you've been working in baseball for a long time. Where does this stand in the craziest trade deadlines of all time? It's right there. And Ben, one thing that changed in 2019 was the elimination of the August waiver period. So there couldn't be no more deals in August now, the way there used to be. And we saw some big deals in August, including your brother a couple of years back. So that has changed the dynamic. And in 19, we saw 22 trades on deadline day. This year, we saw 21. But the period leading up to it, the six days leading up to it, were more frenzied. And I think there were 42 trades in all over those six days. So if you ask, was this the craziest deadline ever? Quite possibly, not just because of the number, and the number was big, but nine all-stars were traded. <laughs> we saw two teams that won the World Series in the last five years essentially deconstruct, the Cubs and the Nationals. And there was just a lot of movement. Some prospects, big prospects were traded as well. So if you put it all together, you want to make a case for this being the craziest one ever? You certainly can. <laughs> so you, you mentioned the Dodgers and um, that, and, and my brother. So I, I want to ask you that. Back in 2017, when my brother was traded, it was at the waiver deadline. So it was at the end of August. Yes. So the Dodgers trade for Max Scherzer this year, which in 2017, they had the option to go get my brother. It was certainly on the yes, table. Yes, they did. And they chose... Not to. They ultimately chose to go get a guy like you, Darvish. And I don't know. It's my opinion, and maybe it's because I'm related to him. That could have cost them the World Series. If they go get my brother, could be a whole different ball game, and they could have won the World Series in 2017. Does that play a factor in them being as aggressive as they were this year and going to get a guy like Max Scherzer, the, the cream of the crop of pitchers on the market this year, and giving up a boatload of talent to get him? That's a really good question. And 
I don't know that one thing has anything to do with the other, whether the Verlander non-trade led to the Scherzer trade. They've always been, under Friedman, pretty aggressive at the deadline. Machado, the one year, remember? Darvish, mm-hmm. of course, as you mentioned. Now, I remember the year your brother was traded. He wasn't pitching all that well come July 31st. He, I think in August, if I'm not mistaken, he started picking it up again. But yeah, if they had traded from in 17, who knows what might have happened. Because of course, the team that beat them in the World Series would not have gotten right? (laughs) So that's one aspect of it. And then of course, the sign stealing, it's a whole other equation that we have to enter into it. But I do believe, Ben, your basic point is right, that teams are informed by what has happened in the past, good and bad. And Andrew Friedman often has been someone, even in Tampa Bay, who went for the top of the market. And Tampa Bay is still doing this. They still go for the best players, even if it's going to take something crazy to get them. And that started with Friedman. So maybe in 17, he didn't view Verlander the same way he views Scherzer now. I don't know. But it's interesting to look back on it in that fashion. Certainly. So they end up with Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. How does that even happen? Does one GM call the other and look here, I want Max Scherzer. I also want Trey Turner. How can this go down? Like, how does a deal that big for one, you know, I, I understand Max, but, but Trey Turner is a younger guy, a piece that you could build around. How does that even happen? Or is it just something that evolves as talk move on? Well, I'm not sure exactly how this went down yet. We haven't learned all of those details yet. My guess is that when the talk started, they were solely about Scherzer. And at that point, maybe the Nationals said, well, we want Caber Ruiz, we want Josiah Gray, those kinds of top prospects. And the Dodgers perhaps countered and said, well, if you're going to want those guys, we want Turner too. And that would be a logical <laughs> evolution of those talks now i'm not sure how it went down maybe the dodgers from the start said we want both and it's very possible that that is how it all came about but for that quality of prospect and those are two top 100 guys i could see definitely the dodgers saying not for a rental we're not giving you two guys like that for a rental but if you include turner okay we'll talk about it because turner of course is under control through next season as well right how close were the Padres to actually getting Max Scherzer? Because that was the talk around baseball for a good few hours. And then we heard, hold up, hold up, maybe not. And then it just kind of went away until he was now on the Dodgers. How, how close was that to happening? Well, Ben, you're hitting a sore spot because that was my report. And I did say <laughs> it was close. And I know a lot of Padre fans are upset that it didn't happen because I did report that it was close to happening. Now, I still have not unraveled this whole thing yet, Mm -hmm. but at the time, I was told it was close, and I was told by multiple people involved that it was close. That's not to say done, and we all know there's a difference between close and done. That's okay, but for whatever reason, it did not happen. Now, again, I, I still, in my reporting, have not completely figured out what exactly went down here, (laughs) but we do know this. We know that Scherzer preferred to go to one of the three West Coast National League teams, the NOS teams, the Giants, the Dodgers, or the Padres. So certainly there were discussions that were held. Sometimes the definition of close is in the eye of the beholder. One team might view it as close and the other team might not. But again, there's still a lot of questions out there for me as I kind of continue to look into this, put it that way. 
Yeah. So the Cubs, a total teardown, total overhaul, getting rid of some legends, some guys that broke the curse. Have you ever seen a teardown quite like what they went through? I don't know that I've ever seen it at the deadline like this. And that was what kind of distinguished this. Now, the reason it happened is obvious. They had all these players on expiring contracts, Rizzo and Bryant and Baez, and even some of the others, Jock Peterson and Andrew Chafin. All of these guys were potential free agents. Kimbrell, he has another year on his deal if you pick up the $16 million club option, which frankly, if he's performing at this level, is a great price for him. So, yeah, no brainer. So that is what drove this, of course, when they were winning this season, when they looked like they might contend, I don't know that this was in the cards, but once they lost those 11 straight, that was it. And the one thing that surprised me was that they went to the extent that they did, that they did not keep Rizzo and Baez, for example, as potentially those guys they could extend later. But in their view, and Jed Hoyer has been pretty vocal about this, their president of baseball operations, they took their best shots with extensions and none of these guys were willing to sign for what the Cubs thought was a fair price. So that is what also drove this. And that's why in the end Hoyer said, you know what, I'm not signing these guys. I'm not going to get enough back on a qualifying offer because the Cubs would only get a pick after the second round, not the first, because they're not a revenue sharing recipient. So that was the decision he made. That was the one element of the whole thing that surprised me that they went to that length burned it all down instead of keeping a few pieces and hoping to resign them, which of course they could still do in free agency, but we'll see. Yeah. And, and, and I'm totally with you there. So Ken, let me ask you this. I want to know this from your perspective. What is the week leading up to the deadline, the 48 hours leading up to the deadline look like for you? Do you sleep ever? I do sleep. And Certain years, not as much because (laughs) there is stuff that sometimes goes on at three and four in the morning that I'm getting hold of and kind of chasing. But this year, I actually did sleep the two nights before, but it's not a great sleep because you're just (laughs) wired. (laughs) And I know a lot of the GMs did not sleep. And because they're so busy, especially the Cubs, the Nationals, the teams that were really involved in a lot of things, the Rangers and the Twins and some of the buyers as well. But it's very hectic. It's a zillion text messages. It's a couple of phone calls in there as well. I've got TV responsibilities at MLB Network, as well as writing responsibilities for The Athletic and tweeting and all of that. So it's crazy. And the only thing I equate it to when the deadline is over is like the last day of school letting out. Now, not that the work is over because I'm still working and still writing stuff, but... (laughs) It, it's that kind of relief, I would say, that it's over and you can go back to a more normal, if you want to call it that, existence. Yeah. So I, I want to ask you this, and, and I don't know, you know where this stands, but as an outsider looking at this situation, I'm always interested in, in this and truly do not know the answer. Is there ever situations where GMs kind of play the game a little bit at the deadline, if you will? And and put some feelers out there, hoping another team hears it to get more back. I've always been so interested in that and, and don't know if it's, I assume it's considered like taboo, but I also assume it has to happen at points. You mean through the media? Yes, through the media. 
it definitely happens. And it's our job to protect against that and to sense when it's happening and to check well enough to see that it's not happening. Now, in the wake of the Scherzer report and not knowing exactly what happened, I'm not exactly sure right. if I was maybe in that position. Mm -hmm. And I, again, wrote about this the other day in The Athletic trying to explain where I was. It does happen. And the only thing I can say about it is, Ben, it's our job to filter through this and get through all the noise and get the stories and facts right. So when I said it was close, I believe what I had at that time, the information I had, that it was close. But whether it actually was or not, I'm yeah. still not sure. Yeah. And whether I was given information by at least one person under some kind of false pretense, I'm not sure. But it doesn't matter. There's no excuse for someone like me to ever get played. Interesting. Period. Interesting. I, I, you know, just it, it just feels like it has to happen. And so I've always been very interested in it. So Kim, people can try. Ask, people try all the time. <laughs> that's what I was. So people try. And from what I understand, yeah. it's your job and it's your job to be able to see or try and see that that's happening and say, hold on. I right, well, let's let's hold off yes. here. Um, so let me ask you this. Who won the trade deadline? Dodgers, certainly. Yeah. I don't know how you can look at it any other way. They acquired two of the best players in the game and solidified themselves against two division rivals that did not get those players. Now, the Giants recovered quite nicely with Bryant. The Padres already had acquired Frazier, and then they got Daniel Hudson and Marisnik. But the Padres did not get a starting pitcher. And the Dodgers got a guy who, in the 19 World Series, was just heroic. So they're clearly winners. I thought the Yankees were winners simply because they addressed one of their biggest problems, which is a lack of left-handed presence in their lineup with Gallo and Rizzo. They get Gallo for next year as well. They even got money to cover the salaries of both those players for the teams that traded them. So they did really well, in my opinion. I can go down the list. The Blue Jays, <laughs> they gave up a lot for Barrios, but getting Barrios was a big deal. And that was a big moment for them. And of course, they returned to Toronto on the same day, uh, deadline day. And yeah. that was a huge thing. They've been on the road for almost two years. It's been something that we haven't talked about enough. So those are the ones that off the top of my head jump out. The Brewers with Willie Adamas back yeah. in May. You cannot dismiss that. That was a huge move. The White Sox getting Kimbrell and certainly Cesar Hernandez, the yeah. excellent. Those are the ones that stand out the most. Well, it was, you know, as well, I think it was just an awesome trade deadline for baseball because as well as some of the buyers did, some of the sellers did equally as well. You think it, it could potentially end up great for them, um, but it was certainly an exciting deadline and you were right in the thick of it and absolutely killing it as you always do. So Ken, thank you so much for joining me, talking a little bit of trade deadline and, and good luck the rest of the season. I appreciate you joining me, man. Thanks, Ben. Take care. Of course. All right, and I just wanted to thank Ken Rosenthal again for joining me. What a great guest. What a great conversation to have post the trade deadline. So now that we're a few days later, Ken's finally looking all relaxed. So I wanted to thank him again. But now it is time for my favorite segment we have here this week in Shohei Otani news. The man is a legend, and we treat him as such on this show with the most incredible set and background you can imagine and as always, this segment is brought to you by our presenting sponsor, 
mattress firm. So talk to an expert and unjunk your sleep today. Look, now that they're our sponsor, I see our I see their stuff everywhere. I was watching a game the other day and I just happened to hear all the time unjunk your sleep today. So seriously, I made the switch a couple months ago. I'm telling you, you got to do it. It's life changing. Better sleep is in your future. But now it's on to Shohei Otani and and look, every single week he's putting himself in categories that there aren't a whole lot of people in. And this week is no different. So Shohei Otani this past week hit two more home runs, giving him 37. And that in itself puts him in elite category for the Angels. Shohei Otani has become the fifth player in Angels history, fifth player in Angels history with 35 homers and 15 stolen bases. Now, let's go over this list. Mike Trout, obviously, he's done it twice. Vladimir Guerrero, Don Baylor, and Bobby Bonds. Of that group, of that group, three of them have won the MVP. Trout, Baylor, and Vlad. They all won the MVP, in my opinion, and I don't even think this is that hot of a take anymore. In my opinion, Shohei Otani is going to be the next in that line to do this incredible feat and go on to win MVP. I, I really think it's that simple. He becomes the fifth player in Angels history to accomplish this feat. Now, it kind of got me to thinking, all right, he's now the fifth player in Angels history to accomplish this. How many players in history have accomplished this before July even ends? So he did some digging. The incredible, the incredible department here that, that gets us our data and analysis did some digging as well, and we found it. We found how many players in history have ever had 37 home runs and 15-plus stolen bases by the end of July. It's one person. And that person is Shohei Otani, the one player in the history of this game with the deepest history of any sport has become the one player in history to accomplish this feat. 37 homers, 15 stolen bases by the end of July, before July even ends. Absolutely incredible stat. The man just keeps doing things weekly that that just never ceased to amaze me so on top of him being one of one doing that he's also done something else now that a lot of people don't do okay he has become the first player to have 15 plus stolen bases and 15 plus pitching appearances since the household name bullet rogan of the Kansas City Monarchs in the Negro Leagues back in 1922. Good old Bullet Rogan. Shohei Otani and Bullet Rogan. Classic. And if you want to look to the last ALNL player to do it, you got to go back to 1901 when Zaza Harvey accomplished the feat. I mean, guys, at this point, if you're not completely over-the-top impressed by what Shohei Otani is doing, then you're, you're doing yourself a disfavor, and you can't call yourself a baseball fan. You just can't. 
because this is incredible. And what we are seeing week in and week out, as we're getting further and further into the season, he's just doing things and accomplishing things weekly that have never been done in this game, that have never been done. That's why I love him. That's why I love this segment. That's why I talk about him all the time. And that's why our set looks so incredible because he deserves to be talked about all the time. So he's accomplishing all these cool things at the plate, hitting a bunch of homers, stealing a bunch of bases. But I want to talk about his pitching because this is equally as impressive. He just keeps lowering and lowering his ERA. It's now right at a 3.0 ERA. He's had multiple dominant starts in a row since his last start against, since, since that start against the Yankees, the month of July, he had a 1.6 ERA. 1.6 in the entire month of July. He went 2-0. He didn't lose a start. And the one start that he didn't get a win, he didn't get the win, but he didn't give up a single run only because the Angels didn't score. It's the only reason. He didn't go 3-0. and up. So he continues to lower his ERA. He continues to pitch better and better. He continues to not walk people um, and, and get out of that first inning. For me, that first inning for Shohei Otani is the biggest one. If he can get out of that first inning, he's going to have success on the mound. And he's been doing that ever since that Yankee start where the whole the whole world was saying, I told you so. He just needs to switch back to being a full-time hitter. That's where he's great. He has been the best pitcher in baseball since that day. You know, it's you know, 2-0, and a 1-6 ERA, uh, just continues to dominate on the mound. His command is getting better and better and better. Um, so as a, as a starting pitcher, he's incredible. As a hitter, he's incredible. I, I, I just... I find it tough sometimes to, to express more how impressive it is what we're seeing. So his last start on the mound came earlier or came early in the week this past week, and he goes out, he has a great first inning, he throws a shutdown inning, doesn't give up a run, okay? He doesn't give up a run in the first inning. He strikes out a guy in the first inning. He makes a defensive play in the first inning on the mound, so he covers literally everything out on the mound, and then what does he do in the bottom of the first? In the bottom of the first, he comes up with a runner on second, he gets a single, he gets an RBI, so an RBI single, he's on first base, and then he steals second base. I don't, I, there, there has never been a more complete, well-rounded inning in the history of this game. They're just, they're, it's impossible. It's impossible to do more. He pitched, shut out inning, no runs, struck a guy out, made a defensive play, gets a hit, gets an RBI, steals a base. He did it all. So when you look at Shohei Otani as a whole, as, as a whole, as a hitter and as a pitcher, you look at that one inning. You look at that one inning and say, this, just, this is done by, by nobody else. He's literally doing things, like I talked about at the beginning of this segment, that have never been done in history. And that inning just perfectly culminates, in my opinion, what he does as a baseball player. So, look, listen here. No more talk of, he needs to pick one. He needs to pick one. We told you so. He needs to become a full-time hitter. I'm done with it. 
I'm done with it. This guy has continually proven that he is able to do both at the highest level, and he is able to do them both well. So enough of making him pick. He has proven that behind the scenes, he can put in the work, he can put in the work ethic, he has the work ethic to do this, and he is one of the best players in the world and is having the most incredible season that we have ever seen, and he is hands down the MVP of this 2021 Major League Baseball season. And I want to hear nothing else about anything about that he needs to pick because he doesn't. And he's the MVP of this season. And that does it for this week in Shohei Otani News. All right, and now it is time to grade some of these teams on the trade deadline. We brought in Ken Rosenthal. He talked about the teams and how he thought they did. Uh, we talked at the top of the episode when we went around the bases who did what. But now it's time to grade them. And I'm bringing my producer, Conrad, out here to throw some team names at me. And I'm going to give you a grade for each team, and we'll see where they all stack up. So, Conrad, come on out here. Back at it again. The first team we have up is the Los Angeles Dodgers, adding Max Scherzer and Trey Turner. Look, the Dodgers, the cream of the crop of this deadline. And, and I talked about it off the top, and I asked Ken about it, and you know he had the same thoughts here. They had the best trade deadline. So I have to give the Dodgers an A-plus here. Uh, when you can go out and get the best starting pitcher on the market, and which you know may have been expected, but to then go out and add the best shortstop that we didn't even know was on the market, that's an A-plus there for the Dodgers. Love it. Next up, we have the New York Yankees adding Rizzo and Gallo. Look, I, I like what the Yankees added to their lineup. I feel like they, they really missed on adding where their biggest hole was. They needed to add pitchers. I'm going to give the Yankees a C-plus here. I think they really did a good job adding what they needed in the lineup, but they needed to add pitching, man. And I, and I can't believe they didn't do it. I really feel like, how, how do you go into this deadline as the Yankees and not add pitching? So for that reason, I'm giving them a C plus. All right, we're going to stay in New York and go over to the Mets, adding Javi Baez. Okay, the Mets are the leaders in the NL East. Uh, playing good baseball, and really, I thought, had a, position, a chance here to separate themselves from the pack. And I feel like they didn't. They last second added Javi Baez. But, like, is that, is that the move? Is that the best thing they could have done? Like, add some pitching. We don't know what's going to happen with DeGrom. He's hurt. The rest of the rotation's not deep. Do, do something. They just add Javi Baez, which is a sexy pick, but I don't know if it's the great pick. He's not having the best year in the world. Uh, so I'm going to give them a flat-out C, just an average, didn't-blow-me-away kind of deadline. All right, moving on to the Boston Red Sox, adding Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, disappointed. Disappointed in the Red Sox. You have a year where you're not expected to win the division and you come out of the gates hot and you stay hot all year and you're you're that you're the leader in the AL East and continue to to be that team that is the staple of the AL East and and riding high and you get to the deadline where you have all these teams around you adding 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 and you add Kyle Schwarber to the lineup like I get you're getting Chris Sale back and that's going to be a big addition but do more do more for the rotation do more for the bullpen they didn't do anything, and it's disappointing. I'm giving the Red Sox a D. Oh, all right. Well, let's take this out west to the San Francisco Giants, adding one Mr. Chris Bryant. All right, San Francisco Giants. Another, another situation where kind of a surprise team. 
Um, so I looked to them at the deadline, like, what are these guys going to do? They really got to make a splash here. They got to go get, they got to go get a pitcher. They got to go get some offense. And they didn't, but they did add Chris Bryant, who in my opinion is a great ad for the team. I love that pickup. I think he gives them a jolt of energy, a shot in the arm, but that's the only thing they did. He's the only addition. I would have loved to go see them get one of the big pitchers out on the market, uh, whether that be a Scherzer who was talked about and an NLS team he was going to. Uh, it ends up at the Dodgers. They don't end up getting a pitcher at all and just get Chris Bryant. So for that reason, I give them a C. All right, moving on to the Toronto Blue Jays, adding Jose Barrios. I love what they did. I love what they did um, getting Barrios, who's not a, just a, he's not just a loner. He's also under contract through next year. So they had to give up a little bit to get this, but I love them going for it. Their offense is there. When I look at the Blue Jays, I think this team is where they need to be. They just are some pitching away. They go out and add Jose Barrios, who they get through this year, through the playoff push this year, and they get next year. And they add an underrated move this year, a reliever, Brad Hand, from the Nationals, which is a great pickup, uh, kind of overshadowed by how electric this trade deadline was. But they needed pitching. They go get one of the great starting pitchers on the, at the deadline, and they go get a great reliever as well. I give the Blue Jays a B-plus uh, for their grade at the deadline. Love it. Moving on down to Atlanta, where they added Duval, Solaire, and Rodriguez. So Atlanta's deadline was a confusing one to me. I don't like. I didn't know whether they were going for it or gonna sell. Um, Acuna gets hurt. Ozuna's done. Uh, Soroka's hurt and out for the year. Our, this team is a shell of what they were going to be at the beginning of the year, and I had them as the World Series champions before all of that happened. Now things have gone very south for the Braves, and and they're kind of allergic to being 500. But nobody in the NL East is pulling away. So the Braves decided to go for it. And how did they go for it? Well, it was a little interesting. They went and got a bunch of power hitters to throw in the outfield. Adam Duvall, Jorge Soler, just guys that are gonna strike out and they're gonna hit bombs, which are, are good pickups. I think they needed to get those, uh, but the pickup I really like for them came in after the deadline of, you know, about 30 minutes after we hear they get Richard Rodriguez from the Pirates, who in my opinion, was one of the great relievers on the market who's a little under the radar because he was with the Pirates. So I'm going to give the Braves a B minus. The B minus for the Braves, just for, for going for it, and they got a couple big pieces. So B minus for the Atlanta Braves. Got it. Last but not least, the Chicago White Sox, adding Craig Kimbrell. So the White Sox didn't do a ton, but I don't believe the White Sox needed to do a ton. Their rotation, top to bottom, is elite their lineup is great and getting healthier they're getting guys like uh, Eloy Jimenez back uh, Luis Robert could be coming back um, they're getting healthier and healthier Grandal is coming back so I love their pitching rotation I love their lineup and then the only issue for me was their bullpen they have a guy like Hendricks at the back end of the bullpen who's dominant but how are we getting to him do we have that piece to bridge the gap to Hendricks from the starters. And they went and got, got Craig Kimbrell, which was just a dynamic pickup for me. The best 
when you look at a fit for a team, this is exactly what they needed. They add Craig Kimbrell. They get another pickup of Ryan Tapera. I love what the White Sox did, and I'm going to give the White Sox an A- minus for their uh, trade deadline. Great. Now, this one hurts my heart a little bit, but the final team that we have, Seattle Mariners. F. An F for the Mariners. I'm disappointed in what the Mariners did. You know, you have these young guys. You come up. It's exciting. Uh, I don't think they're going to compete this year, but they end up competing. So it becomes a situation of what are you going to do at the deadline? I would understand either way. Be buyers if you want and go for it. I don't think that's the right move. Or, you know, sell some of these pieces that you do have and, and build more for this future that is so bright for this team. And they did nothing. They make this one trade where they get rid of their best reliever and give him to the first place team in that division for, you know, Toro and Joe Smith, who, who look, Toro could be a good ball player someday, but, or, you know, he has been, but what, what are you doing? What, are you buying or are you selling? And then DePoto needs to come out the GM and say, look here, guys, I, I know what I'm doing here. We're going to, we're, we're buying and we're going to go for it and make a good playoff push. And then they do nothing. They go get Diego Castillo, who's not the best, you know, he's not as good as Graveman. And his first outing with the Mariners, he gives up a walk-off home run. And it really just kind of deflates the team, I thought, from, from what I've heard from them. Deflated the fan base. And you have all this excitement building up, and you just really botch the trade deadline, in my opinion. So an F for the Seattle Mariners. And that does it for our grades. Little, you know, we did a little who's in, who's out from last week. Now we're doing some trade deadline grades. So look, I, and I also wanted to mention some teams that did well on the selling end. I look at the Nationals and the Twins as a team that did great on the selling end, but that's to be determined, to be determined. So uh, that was fun. Love bringing Conrad out here and, and giving some grades. And I'm glad he asked me about the Mariners because I felt like they really, they really failed there. All right, and those were some of my grades from this trade deadline, but I wanted to hear what you guys had to say and what you guys thought about this trade deadline. So that was this week's Twitter poll at Flippin' Bats on Twitter where we ask you guys a weekly question and you check it out and give us your vote and we talk about it on the show. And this week's Twitter poll question was, which contender had the best MLB trade deadline? We put up the poll, put a few teams on there, and the winner, of course here, was the Los Angeles Dodgers with 62.6% of the vote. You guys nailed it. Uh, I talked about it. I gave them an A-plus for their deadline. Like I talked about, they gave up a lot to do this, but they are going for it this year. And nobody, nobody had a better trade deadline than the Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, someone else coming up with 16.2% of the vote, which one of these weeks we're going to get to someone else to win. And we're going to go in depth on who that someone else might be. This someone else, I think, is the White Sox, maybe. The Blue Jays, a couple teams that really did well uh, at the trade deadline, picking up some new pieces. The New York Yankees coming in with 14.7% of the vote. And the San Francisco Giants with 65 But by far, the Los Angeles Dodgers with 62.6% of the vote coming in with the victory for this week's Twitter poll. Make sure you guys are following us on Twitter, at FlippinBatsPod, where we do this weekly. And this was by far the biggest blowout question we had, uh, but the Los Angeles Dodgers win in the trade deadline. In y'all's opinion, in my opinion, and in Ken Rosenthal's opinion, 
But before I wrap up, a little extra inning segment here, and I wanted to talk about Kumar Rocker of the New York Mets. The 10th overall pick in the draft, Kumar Rocker to the Mets, they don't get him signed. They just don't get him signed. And this is frustrating for me, and I wanted, I wanted to touch on why this is so frustrating. There's a glaring issue with the MLB draft and the signability of players. And it very much so favors the owners and the teams, and they have all of the leverage. Kumar was a, a junior at Vanderbilt, uh, ends up entering the draft and gets drafted as a top 10 pick, and they just don't get the deal done. So the Mets came out and announced that they weren't, over, weren't able to get this done, and Kumar is going to forego going back to Vanderbilt for a senior season. So now in this guy's prime, as a 21, 22-year-old stud of a pitcher, he just sits out. There's, there's no other thing for him to do. And this is where my problem becomes is, okay, the Mets and Kumar and his agent, Scott Boris, can't agree on a price. They can't come together and agree on his signing bonus. The Mets have all the leverage here and say, look, we're not, we're not caving. We don't want to give you this. And if you don't sign, you can't go anywhere else. You have to sit out a full season in your prime or go back to college, which is wrong. It's just wrong. So we need, we need to fix this. We need the MLB and the players union to come together and figure out this situation and figure out how this doesn't happen. What I don't think we should do is allow players to just become free agents because then what you run into is players not wanting to sign because, oh, I don't like, I don't like the Colorado Rockies. I don't want to sign with them. I just will hold out and go past the deadline and then sign with a new team. So that's not the answer. But what isn't the answer is guys just not being able to come to an agreement and then they're SOL on a job for a year until the next draft when he can enter the next draft. And then he has far less leverage coming in the draft that year and the teams can just do the same thing. So it's frustrating, but I'm tired of seeing this. And what I'm really tired of seeing is Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, coming out and sending a tweet saying, hey, everyone, education time here. Baseball draft picks are worth up to five times their slot value to clubs. I never shy away from investments that can make me that type of return. What are you doing, Steve Cohen? These players are human beings. Let's not talk about them like they're investments. Let's not talk about them like they're numbers on a piece of paper. This is wrong, and I can't believe... We all know owners think like this. This is how they think. They're businessmen. They're businessmen. Where can I make money? How much money can I make? But for him to come out and tweet this, it did not go over well. A couple minutes after this was posted, I actually responded to that and said, hey, man, you probably delete this before it gets too bad in these comments. And immediately I had, you know, hundreds of people saying it's too late. It's too late. And he's kept it up there. And it's just, it, it, it's even more so goes to show the problem we have with this draft. Oh, we didn't think this guy was worth five times the value that he wants or the slot value. We didn't sign him. There's an issue with the MLB draft and we need to fix it. And Kumar Rocker is just the next story in line of, of where the issue becomes. So I wish Kumar Rocker well. Uh, I hope he's healthy. I hope he, uh, he has a good 
next year or whatever he decides to do. And I hope he comes back and gets drafted and absolutely tears up this league because this guy is a stud of a pitcher and the Mets missed out on a real one there. So that's it for this week's trade deadline special episode. I had an absolute blast. Thank you guys for listening. Make sure you're subscribing anywhere you subscribe, Spotify, Apple Podcast. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, hit that five-star button. Leave us a good review. Make sure you're following on all socials. We have Twitter. We have Instagram. We have YouTube, where the episode comes out on video. So make sure you're checking all those out. Flipping Bats Pod. Thank you. This has been an incredible deadline special, and I will see you guys next time on Flipping Bats. Swings and it's a high fly ball, deep center field. It is gone. Home run and a huge bat flip to celebrate.